On Saturday the 13th of February 1993, Kevin West, who lived in Zanesville, Ohio, hugged goodbye his two young children, Sarah and Seth. He then left the house to go meet up with his date for that night. He was, understandably, quite nervous. You see, Kevin divorced his children's mother, Tracy, just a year prior in 1992. Unfortunately for Kevin, his now ex-wife, Tracy, actually gained full custody of the two children, Sarah who was five and Seth who was three. Thankfully, Tracy was understanding of the fact that both her children, who were inseparable, wanted to spend time with their father. Tracy and Kevin would often arrange visitation weekends so the kids could hang out with their dad. The weekend commencing the 12th of February 1993 was one of those weekends where kids had come over to Kevin's house to spend time with him, and on the first day of that weekend, the Friday, the three of them spent the early evening playing games and having fun. The children, however, did notice that their dad was acting a little off. Kevin had been acting a little strange because the very next day, on the Saturday the 13th of February, Kevin was going on a date. And as I said, he was understandably quite apprehensive and nervous for this date. The three of them spent Saturday playing happily in the house and in the garden, and then at about 9.30pm, the babysitter came to the house and knocked on the front door. Kevin gave strict instructions to this babysitter, who was the 16-year-old neighbour from next door, that the two children had to be in bed before 10pm. That was their curfew. Kevin then sat with Sarah and Seth as they said their bedtime prayers. He then gave them both a big hug and told them to be on their best behaviour before he left the West residence at sometime between 9.30pm and 9.45pm. Kevin then returned back to the house at sometime between 11pm and 11.45pm to change his shirt. It's unclear when precisely since Kevin had been drinking alcohol. He had returned so that he could change his shirts that had actually become drenched with sweat from dancing with his date and so that he could check on his children. Kevin was greeted by the 16-year-old babysitter when he arrived and then about 15 minutes later, after Kevin had arrived, he then left the house again and returned to his date. However, when Kevin returned back home to go to bed after a successful date, he was met with a horror that no parent should ever face. Kevin found a window in his house smashed, and inside, he found his furniture had been thrown about as if there had been some kind of a struggle. He then found blood plastered all over the walls and the staircase, and worst of all, his two young children were nowhere to be seen. It wouldn't take long for Kevin to locate his three-year-old son successfully, Seth, who was alive and well, and had been hiding in a cabin in the garden of next door's property. But in a tragic and heart-wrenching turn of events, Kevin would never see his five-year-old daughter alive ever again. The events that led up to the discovery of Sarah West's remains would shock the residents of Zanesville, Ohio, for decades to come.
Hi YouTube, it's Joshua Miles and welcome back to my channel. Today's video is going to be yet another solved true crime case for my Curious Case series. I want to point out that this video has not been made to cause disrespect or anything like that. It has just been made to spread awareness about this case by compiling information from various public sources on the internet. Any theories and opinions discussed in any of my videos are not fact. I urge you to conduct your own further research into this case and any of the cases that I cover and draw your own conclusions. All sources used in this video have been linked in the description box down below. Thank you to Kami for requesting this video. If you want to submit a case to be covered by me on this channel, then go to requestacase.com. And with all that being said, let's delve right into this case. Sarah West was born on the 1st of July, 1989 in Zanesville, Ohio, USA, to parents Kevin and Tracy West. She was a complete girly girl who loved playing with her dolls, having tea parties with her family and toys and was obsessed with Disney's Cinderella. Sarah was particularly close to her grandparents on her father's side. Her grandpa, who she would call Grandpa Monty, would always read her the fairy tale Jack and the Beanstalk. Her grandma, who she would call Grandma Shirley, was a stereotypical grandmother who was always baking and always treating her grandchildren to all kinds of treats. In particular, Grandma Shirley and Sarah would always bake sprinkle cookies, an activity that they would do almost every time Sarah came over to visit. When Sarah was just two years old in 1990, her parents welcomed a brand new baby boy into the world, who they called Seth. And from the offset, Sarah and Seth were absolutely inseparable. Sarah was so excited to become a big sister, and the siblings became the best of friends, always playing together and sharing everything. Sarah was the kind of person whose smile could light up a room, a smile that could make you beam on those days where you're not feeling the best. She brought joy to everyone she met and everyone she came across. When Sarah's parents divorced in 1992, she was understandably upset. She tried her hardest at her role of being the supportive big sister and always tried to remain optimistic and positive. Like I touched on earlier, Sarah and Seth loved to spend time with their father. Even though Tracy hated being apart from the kids, she would allow the kids to go spend a weekend with her father every now and then. The weekends that tragedy struck the way family was one of those visitation weekends. As I said earlier, Kevin and the two children spent Friday night and Saturday playing about and just having fun with one another. When the next door neighbor babysitter came over at about 9.30 p.m. that Saturday evening, Kevin answered the door and welcomed 16-year-old Billy Joe Schaefer into his home to watch his children. After Kevin left for his date at about 9.45 p.m., Sarah went into the kitchen, picked up her favorite pens and started drawing a picture for her mother. Meanwhile, Seth played upstairs in his bedroom. Their curfew quickly came about, and at 10 p.m., the babysitter called out to both of them, telling them that it was time to go to bed. On all accounts, Sarah begged Billy to allow her to stay up for an extra five minutes so that she could finish drawing this picture for her mother. Billy quickly caved in and allowed the two children to stay up for another couple of minutes before he took them up to bed and tucked them in. After the children were in bed, Billy went downstairs and into the kitchen and got a beer out of the fridge. Keep in mind that Billy was 16 years old and the legal drinking age in Ohio in 1993 was 21. Although you can drink with your parents or spouse if they are 21 or over regardless of your age, but this was not the case with Billy. He was home alone, 16 years old, 
and looking after two young children. Billy then went and retrieved glue with the intent of inhaling fumes from the glue to achieve a high. It is unknown whether Billy brought this glue himself, whether it was glue that he found in the house, but over the case, he still inhaled the fumes. Billy decided to begin watching the movie Friday the 13th, which was being broadcast on television that evening. At some point, Billy then went into the bathroom with a bunch of adult magazines and sexually gratified himself for lack of a more delicate phrase. Afterwards, he phoned up one of his friends who actually lived just down the street from the West residence, and this friend invited him over. His friend had created a DIY tattoo gun that day, and he wanted to show it off, and he wanted to demonstrate it. Billy concluded that the kids were asleep upstairs, and that there was nothing better to do, so he decided to jump on his bike and cycle down to the residence of his friend. Interestingly, Billy actually took a loaded handgun with him to his friend's house. It is unknown to the general public where exactly Billy got this handgun from, whether it was Billy's parents or whether it was a pistol that was inside the West residence. Data provided from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, which is an American law enforcement agency also known as the ATF, in 2017 shows that in Ohio there is one gun for every 15 people in the state. Data from the ATF and the Congressional Research Service shows that there has been a significant increase in gun ownership in the United States between the 90s and 2013. The data shows there to be 40 million more guns than people in 2013, with 357 million firearms across the states. In the 90s, according to Washington Post, gun ownership was half of what it is today. These facts lead me to conclude that Billy likely had access to a firearm either in his own residence or through a friend. But as I said, I can't give a definite answer as to where the gun came from because I simply don't know. It's not public knowledge. We know that Billy had been using inhalants to achieve a high, which was something that was quite common amongst teenagers in the 90s. Now, according to the Australian Drug Foundation, some inhalants can cause a high that can last up to 45 minutes. Although, upon further research, according to Healthline.com, it appears that the high sustained from inhaling chemicals in solvent glues may only last for a few minutes. These facts lead me to conclude two scenarios. Billy either continuously sniffed the glue throughout the night, or he used the glue as kind of an excuse for what he was about to do. The journey from the West residence to Billy's friend's house takes about 15 minutes by bike. And according to Billy, during this time, he was actually contemplating murdering everybody at his friend's house. Though, when Billy arrived at his friend's house, he realized that he'd be unable to overpower and control the four people that lived there. So, thinking logically, he decided not to kill them. Billy did, however, want to show off the handgun that he had brought to his friend's house, and he did just that. Two boys that lived at the house went with Billy into the backyard to fire a few rounds. After which, Billy decided that it would be a good idea for him to return back to the West residence, and so he did. Billy had only been back at the house for a few minutes before Kevin West came home to change his clothes. As I discussed earlier, Kevin had been out on a date and had gone dancing, which had 
caused them to drench his shirts with sweat inadvertently. We don't know the exact time that Kevin got home that evening to change his shirt due to him being intoxicated, but we estimate it to be between 11pm and 11.45pm. He had returned an hour to an hour and 45 minutes after the children had gone to bed. Kevin got changed and briefly checked on the kids before he headed back out about 15 minutes after he arrived. This event would be the last time that he would ever see his daughter, Sarah, alive. And sadly, he wouldn't remember most of it because he was drunk. Once Kevin had left, Billy decided that he would go and watch some more television, and he turned on the movie Friday the 13th for a second time, because that movie was having a double feature on a local network, which means that they were just running the movie twice. During this movie, Billy decided to go up to Sarah's room, pick her up, and bring her down and lay her on the sofa. Billy managed to do so without disturbing Sarah's sleep. After a short while, Billy then decided to take Sarah back upstairs, but instead of putting her back in her bedroom, he took her to the weight room. What I'm about to describe next is horrific, grossly disturbing, and just downright evil. I won't be discussing the specifics out of respect. Billy removed Sarah's clothes while she was still asleep and begun to kiss her naked body. He then further violated her with his hands, which led Sarah to wake up in a panic and she started screaming. Billy was seemingly shocked by Sarah's screams, so he left the weight room, closing the big, heavy weight room door behind her, a door that Sarah couldn't open herself. A few minutes later, Billy returned to the weight room with a knife and stabbed Sarah multiple times. He then moved Sarah from the weight room to a downstairs bathroom and placed her in a bath. In the process, he got blood all over the staircase and the walls. What he did next is too graphic and too disturbing to discuss. Bluntly, he heavily mutilated Sarah. Once he had done so, he then took his handgun and shot Sarah's lifeless body in the head. Prosecutors believe that Billy did this in an attempt to disguise the fact that Sarah had succumbed to mutilation wounds and had instead succumbed to gunshot wounds. Billy then stuffed Sarah's remains and her now-blooded toys into two trash bags before going outside and tossing them from an embankment. And this was in an attempt to dispose of the evidence. He then staged a robbery in the house by breaking one of the windows and tossing the furniture about. Billy then took Seth, who had been upstairs the entire time in his room, to a cabin behind Billy's house, which is where Seth remained until his father, Kevin, rescued him. Upon Kevin coming home from his date and seeing this alleged robbery with windows broken and furniture thrown around, blood on the walls and staircase, and his two children missing, Kevin immediately sobered up. Adrenaline kicked in and he quickly went round next door to Billy's house to see if Billy's parents were in so he could get help. And when he knocked on the door, Billy actually answered. Billy spun this story of how there had been a robbery that had gone wrong. He was trying to hide what he had indeed done himself. Kevin asked where his son was, Seth, and when Billy said that he was in a cabin, um, behind the house in the garden. Kevin ran into the garden where he found his three-year-old son alone, barefoot and shaking uncontrollably. After which, Kevin phoned for the police and the true tale of what actually happened 
began to unravel. When the police began to look into Billy Schaefer's background, they discovered that he actually had a history with children's services. At age six, the children's services actually witnessed Billy get really, really angry at his grandmother and punch her in the face. Then, at age 12, Billy was actually arrested for stabbing his six-year-old little brother four times while he was sleeping. At his high school, records show that not only did he have behavioral problems, he also had substance abuse issues and problems with alcohol. When his classmates spoke to the investigators, they told them of how Billy would openly admit to worshipping the devil. He always doodled satanic imagery in his workbooks and in his textbooks. Further to this, Billy had actually claimed that his two biggest heroes were Jeffrey Dahmer and Charles Manson. Jeffrey Dahmer and Charles Manson were his biggest inspirations and he idolized them. Billy told the investigating officers a range of different stories that all distantly echoed the truth. He eventually realized that the evidence was overwhelmingly against him and there was nothing that he could do to worm out of what he had done. The district attorney actually struck a plea deal with Billy, which I believe actually reduced the sentencing on the charge aggravated murder from life in prison without the possibility of parole to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 20 years. The plea deal would only be accepted on the basis that Billy tells the authorities everything that had happened and that Billy answer all of their questions. Aggravated murder in the state of Ohio carries a very similar weight to the first degree murder charge. According to Wikipedia, it consists of purposefully causing the death of another or the unlawful termination of a pregnancy with prior calculation and design or intentionally causing the end of another under the age of 13, a law enforcement officer or in the course of committing certain serious felony offenses. According to some sources, Billy was then charged to a further three years in prison for firearm related charges. Investigators asked Billy what he would have done if Sarah hadn't been in the house and Billy told the investigators that he would have simply done the same thing but to Seth. Further, when asked why he killed Sarah, Billy replied saying that he'd always thought of doing it and the opportunity was knocking. Billy pled guilty to aggravated murder and was sentenced to life in prison with a possibility of parole after 20 years. Under Ohio law, it is not possible to give the maximum sentence of the death penalty to anybody under the age of 18, regardless of their crimes. This meant that Billy was ineligible to receive the death penalty sentence due to him being a minor. If Billy had been just two years older, he would have been eligible for capital punishment. There are a lot of people that believe that despite Billy being just 16, he should have received the death penalty, and amongst those people include Kevin West. While incarcerated, Billy started sending death threats to Sarah's grieving family. They were so bad, in fact, that the FBI had to set up 24-7 surveillance on the family to keep them protected. Billy had a parole meeting with the parole board earlier this year in February, I believe. However, he was denied parole at this meeting. Kevin West, accumulated over 30,000 signatures from the public as part of his campaign to keep Billy in prison. According to blockparole.com, Billy has another parole hearing coming up in December of this year, 2019. And that's everything that I have for you 
in today's case. Thank you so much for watching this episode in my Cura's Case series. Leave a thumbs up if you found this video interesting and a comment down below telling me what you thought of this case. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time that I post a brand new true crime video. I revealed in my community tab the other day that my next two cases are going to be two mini-series with the first episode hopefully airing either Friday or Saturday. It all depends on whether YouTube approved the videos or not. So make sure that you have that bell icon turned on so you can be notified as soon as those mini-series go live. And with all that being said, I will see you in the next case. Now, babe,